You just arrived for your professor's office hours with 10 minutes left. There's time for one question, and your professor has to answer quickly, but clearly and accurately so you understand. Welcome to Cali Laudables, your audio law professor. Today you asked Professor Barbara Glessner-Fines of the University of Missouri-Kansas City School of Law about attorney retainers. In order to buy a house or a car, you generally need to make a down payment. Chances are good you had to pay your tuition for your law school classes before the final exams. Even when you drive through a fast food restaurant, you pay at window one, you get your coffee at window two. Advance payments are a sensible way to do business. So too attorneys often require that their clients pay in advance. But these prepayments pose some serious ethical risks if not handled properly. Knowing how to charge and handle retainers can be the difference between a successful practice and losing your license. There are two things I want you to have clear. First, you should know the difference between a retainer and an advance. And second, you should know what your ethical accounting responsibilities are regarding these prepayments. Let's talk about two different kinds of retainers. The first kind is an advance. Sometimes attorneys refer to retainers or special retainers, but what they're really talking about is simply an advance payment of unearned fees. We'll talk in a minute about what you do with these advance payments, but we first need to consider the other kind of retainer. These are sometimes called general retainers or non-refundable retainers. A general retainer is a payment just to have an attorney be available. In the days before billable hours and clients who shopped around for a different attorney for every legal need they might have, these general retainers were simply used as a payment to guarantee that a lawyer would be available for whatever future services a client might need. They would allow a client to say, my lawyer is Barbara Glessner Fines, and that, of course, would strike fear into the hearts of anyone who might seek to do them wrong. In those days, attorneys didn't ordinarily send their clients a bill for a five-minute phone call, so there might even be a little work involved in that retainer, but usually this retainer was simply to be able to say the attorney was yours. If the attorney did provide legal services later, she would bill the client an additional charge for those services. Today, some attorneys continue to use these forms of general retainers. Because these retainers belong to the attorney even if they never actually do any work for the client, they're often called non-refundable retainers. But this is a risky practice. Remember that Rule 1.5 requires that your fees be reasonable. Remember as well that Rule 1.16 on withdrawal says that after you withdraw from representing a client, you should return unearned fees. Some state courts have held that these rules lead to the conclusion that a non-refundable retainer is always unreasonable. Your textbook might have cited the Cooperman case decided in 1994 by the New York Court of Appeals. The court there banned non-refundable retainers, reasoning that if the lawyer hasn't done any work, it's not reasonable 
for him to charge a client. The Cooperman case was especially concerned about the effect that non-refundable retainers have on the client's decision to fire the attorney or drop a case. The court reasoned that the non-refundable agreements compromise the client's absolute right to terminate the unique fiduciary attorney-client relationship. In addition to New York, courts in Ohio, Indiana, Florida, Oregon, Arizona, New Mexico have all disciplined attorneys for charging these non-refundable retainers or lost opportunity fees. Attorneys defend these fees by arguing that every time an attorney agrees to represent a client, the attorney has taken on the potential for conflict of interest and the commitment of time and resources that may preclude other employment. Thus, there's a lost opportunity cost to the attorney in simply agreeing to represent a client. Attorneys also argue that there's value to a client in simply being able to say they've hired an attorney, especially an attorney of widespread and quality reputation. But most state courts have rejected these arguments and have held that non-refundable retainers violate public policy and are unethical. Some courts flatly prohibit these non-refundable retainers. Others indicate that there might be circumstances in which such a retainer would be appropriate if there were some specific identifiable employment that would be precluded by the client's engagement of the attorney, or if there are large startup and staffing costs and complex litigation, or if a sophisticated business client wanted to prevent any of its competitors from using a lawyer's services in anticipated litigation. Certainly, no court will ever approve a non-refundable retainer if the attorney doesn't make it very clear in the initial agreement with the client that the retainer is non-refundable. Ambiguity in fee agreements is always construed against the attorney, so don't expect your client to understand what you mean by a retainer, or even advance for that matter. Spell it out and then follow through. Now, if you get a retainer in advance from a client, what do you do with it? Rule 1.15 tells us that you must never commingle client funds with your own. That means that if you will be taking in money that belongs to your client, it has to be deposited in a client trust account. Since a general or non-refundable retainer belongs to you the moment it's paid, it shouldn't go in a client trust account. It should go in your own operating or personal account. Advances, however, must go into the client trust account until you've actually earned a portion of the advance. Simple enough. But neglecting this accounting task or being sloppy in its execution is the basis for the most serious of discipline. Attorneys get in trouble with these accounts when they commingle their own funds with their clients. Some attorneys try to cut corners on their bookkeeping and end up unintentionally commingling funds. They may maintain a client trust account, but they might pay expenses directly out of the client trust account or take piecemeal disbursements out of the account without careful accounting. And this kind of piecemeal disbursement from client trust accounts almost inevitably results in the lawyer losing track of what funds in the account belong to clients and what funds belong to the lawyer. These practices have led to situations where client funds are negligently misused by the lawyer. Courts aren't forgiving of this kind of sloppiness. 
Many a court has held that even unintentional mishandling of client funds by an attorney can justify disbarment. Other attorneys get in trouble because they don't communicate with their clients about how they're handling the money. Not only should you set up an accounting system and be scrupulous in following it, you should have a system for making sure your client knows how you're handling money and has an opportunity to object to payments from the client trust account. So when you take an advance from a client, your agreement should let them know how often you're going to bill them and should provide that a certain number of days after each bill, if you don't hear from them or they don't object, you're going to withdraw the fees that you've earned. Your accounting statements to clients should be detailed and accurate as to both amount and source, and if the client does object, Rule 1.15 says you should keep disputed funds in the trust account until the dispute is resolved. And that's true whether the dispute is between you and the client or between the client and the third person. If you intend to charge a client a non-refundable retainer and you've researched and you are confident that you are in a state that doesn't flatly prohibit these kinds of non-refundable retainers, be especially sure that your client understands the nature of this retainer, that it's not refundable, and that you will be placing it directly in your own personal account. The ultimate lesson on retainers is really just a basic lesson in good business management. Just as you wouldn't want to make a down payment on a house if you weren't sure what the money was for, that it would be held safely and separately, and the circumstances under which you could get that money back, so you shouldn't give your clients any less information or their money any less care. May all your clients be as diligent in paying their fees as you are in ensuring that you handle their money ethically. Thanks, Professor glessner Fines. Audibles are produced and distributed by Cali, that's the Center for Computer Assisted Legal Instruction. You can find more Laudables at www.cali.org slash laudables. And you can send your questions and feedback to laudables at cali.org, that's L-A-W-D-I-B-L-E-S at cali with a C dot org. The Laudable theme music is Ask Me No Question by Learning Music. Laudables are for educational purposes only. Please seek an attorney if you need legal advice.